Well, the parsonage is the fourth house that Hope and I have lived in since we've been married. Um, and as we kind of dream now and discuss about the, the future home we hope to build one day and, and those kind of things, um, we're in agreement that of all the homes we've lived in, this is our favorite house, just the setup, the layout, uh, kind of the location. We, we've really, really enjoyed it, despite the fishbowl effect. And, and there really is uh, a bit of a fishbowl effect uh, living right here downtown. Everybody knows exactly where the pastor is. Um, and, in fact, and, and, which is weird. It's kind of weird. I'm just going to be honest. The fishbowl effect of living in the park. It's weird. It's strange. And, and, and I love you guys, but some of you are kind of weird too in some of the things that you say. Um, I, like I had, had one member, I'm not going to call them out, but they said one time, oh, pastor, I just, I just love it that you always leave your curtains open so that when we drive by your house, we can look in and just see your family there all together doing life. And I thought, well, stalk much? You know, like, I, I, am I supposed to read into the fact that the ringer on your phone is the police song every move or every breath you take? I was like, it's a little, it's a little awkward, it's a little strange. I started noticing that car kind of parking by our house. No, no, it wasn't that bad, but it was just, it was weird, it was, it was strange, right? And I get what they're trying to say. What they're trying to say is like, man, we just enjoy um, seeing you about in our daily life. We, we like having your family um, being a part of our life, and, and, and so I get that. And we've really um, enjoyed that aspect, uh, too. It's really nice. We, we, we walk you know, to church. We don't have to drive. Um, we, we walked downtown the other night. Uh, Hope had some friends that were um, gonna, gonna be at Sip Shop and Stroll, and they're like, hey, you want to join us? She just got to walk over and hang out with her girlfriends. Uh, that was awesome. Um, not long ago was the Superhero 5K here in Elgin uh, for, for juvenile diabetes, and, and that comes right by our house. And so we get to walk outside, and as people are running by, we're like, yeah, good job. I'm like, I'm not running with you, but good job. You're going to do great. Um, I did, Megan Gonzalez came by, and I was encouraging her, she was with her dog, so I ran around the block with her, that was my 5K, it was, uh, it was, it was good, uh, but it was a really cool race, by the way, so uh, I, I don't know if you've heard about it, but they had, they had hundreds of runners, I mean, there were, there were over 100 people running, it was a really, really cool thing, they had photographers uh, on the ground level, there was a big finish line that was blown up that they could run through, and it was really cool, and in fact, while I was running with Megan, there's somebody on the ground, and they're taking people's pictures, and I'm like, this is bad, they're going to take a picture of me, and I'm like cheating here. Right? It's like I took the taxi and the marathon and showed up and I finished. Um, and so, uh, so we did that. The coolest part for me, right, right, literally right across the street, right on the corner of our house, um, just in the air was flying a drone that my kids and I were, were, were watching. And so in the middle of this race, about 50 feet up in the air, this drone is kind of getting, getting an aerial view of everything that happened. Because this week in the story, um, we're, we're really racing through the first 10 chapters of the book of Acts. That's what we're going to do. And, and, and a part of what we'll do is a little bit of a recap of those 10 chapters. Very quickly, we're going to get the street level view. But my hope and my prayer, when it is all said and done, is it will be a little bit more like the drone, that, that we're going to get kind of an aerial view of this race through these 10 chapters. And, and we can see the big picture of what this means for us, this new change, this new beginning called the church. Okay, So join me in a word of prayer, if you don't mind. Father, thank you for loving us. Um, we thank you for your word. Holy Spirit, we want to um, pause and, and stop and, and, and say we need you now. We've read about you this week. We've read about your coming. We've read about the fulfillment of the promise. And we know your role is to be our teacher and to be our guide and to exalt Jesus. And we say we need you. And so we ask, Holy Spirit, would you please come and do what you do? Would you please come and take your place at our pulpit and would you teach us the word of God? Would you exalt Jesus Christ and lift him up? And Jesus, King Jesus, resurrected Jesus, conqueror of death, Jesus, 
would you draw us all closer to yourself as you were lifted up this morning, that we might leave here with a new understanding of this kingdom of yours, with a new understanding of our role in it, with a new understanding of this life that you say we can have in you. We pray, we ask these things in Jesus Christ's holy and precious name. Amen. Amen. So we're going to start off at the street level, kind of in the book of Acts, all the way back at the beginning of the chapter of chapter 1. And you may not have even realized you were reading through the book of Acts if you're reading the story. That's what it was. It was Acts chapter 1 through, through 10. Uh, what happens is after his resurrection, Jesus hangs out for 40 days. He spends 40 days just hanging out with his disciples and, and with people, you know, not just his disciples. At one point, he appears to, to a crowd of over 500 people uh, at one time. And, and Jesus spends 40 days just kind of proving like, hey, yeah, it's me. I'm the living Jesus. I'm not the dead Jesus. I'm the conqueror of death Jesus. I'm the resurrected Jesus. That's me. Here, you can touch the nail holes. You can touch my side. Like, like it's me. I did what I said I was going to do. Everything I told you uh, is true. I, 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 you asked for a sign. I said, if you want to know I am who I say I am, if you want to know that all of the scriptures that talk about me are true, if you want to know that everything I said about myself is true, then, then, then the resurrection is it. And he, So he spends 40 days going, yep, really happened really happened. Historians say that the resurrection of Jesus is the single most documented historical event ever. You can think about that. that, that that's pretty astounding. That's pretty astounding um, when you think of, of where we are. And so um, that's what happens. So, so Jesus does that. At the end of this period, uh, he tells his followers 120 at this point. 120. So you think, well, how many followers did Jesus have? 120. Tells 120 people, you guys hang out in Jerusalem, I've got to go, but I'm going and it's going to be good for you, I'm going to go away, and my father and I are going to send you another one, another gift, and his name is the Counselor, the Holy Spirit. And so they hang out in Jerusalem. Now Jerusalem is getting kind of packed at this point, because uh, Jesus has been with them 40 days, right, He he was in the earth for three days, and 50 days after the Passover is something called Pentecost. Now, Pentecost was another great celebration. It was also called the Feast of the Weeks. And, and what it was is it was a celebration of the first uh, harvest, or the bringing in of the sheaves. How many of you have sung that old hymn somewhere? Bringing in the sheaves, we're bringing in... I don't even know if that's how it goes. It's something like that. And I, I assume if you're in a good country church, there's somebody with that accent too, right? And uh, it, it's great. And so the first celebration of the bringing in the sheaves is kind of a big deal, the, the, the first harvest. And what happens uh, is, is, is really God doing God's stuff at Pentecost is the first harvest. Like, you want to celebrate the first harvest? Here's my first harvest. And 3,000 people are going to get saved. So the Holy Spirit falls, like Jesus said it was. He says, listen, I want you to stay in Jerusalem. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you're going to receive power to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so they hang out, they do what Jesus asked them to do, and sure enough, the Holy Spirit falls. Uh, and, and comes, and they receive the Holy Spirit, and they begin to speak in intelligible tongues. Okay? I'm going to say that again. They spoke in intelligible tongues. People had come to Jerusalem from all over the world, Jews from all over the place, and they all had kind of their own dialect, and they understood what these men were saying in their own heart language. It's pretty impressive. It's pretty impressive. Now, there's a crowd there that says, I think these guys are drunk, and, and this Holy Spirit that's going to give us power to be witnesses, um, it, it, evidently it works, because, Jesus, uh, because Peter, who, who, who likes to run uh, and deny, uh, stands up and is bold. And, and where he once denied Jesus three times, he now proclaims him boldly, and he says, listen, we're not drunk, right? We've just received the promise that God said would happen. Now we're going to prophesy like the Old Testament said, and here's what we're going to tell you. You killed the Son of God. 
right? It says they were cut to the heart. What must, what must we do? You must repent and be baptized. And so Peter preaches the first sermon. 3,000 people are saved that day. It's amazing. And this Holy Spirit, it's transformational. It just changes these men. It, it changes their boldness. It changes their ministry. For instance, uh, Peter's walking to the temple one day with John, and they're just kind of going to pray. And there's a beggar there who's been lame since birth. And, and the guy's been lame since he has never walked. His feet have never worked. There's never been, been the synapse in his brain that is fired to say, hey, this is how you walk. You put this foot in front of the other. This is how you bounce. Like he, none of that has ever happened in his life. And he, so he asked Peter for money. Peter stops and he looks at the man, probably more than we do, by the way. We like to just drive by. So Peter stops and he looks at the man. He says, like, you have value, right? But he looks at him and I says, like, silver or gold I don't have, but what I have I give you freely in the name of Jesus. Get up and walk. And the man, it says, says that his ankles and his feet were strengthened and he jumped to his feet and he began dancing and jumping and praising God in the temple. Yes, in the church there was dancing. And, and I just, I read that. It's one of my favorite stories, by the way. And I read it this week and I just thought, how transformational is, is this, this, this salvation that comes through Jesus Christ? Like, is there a limit to what Jesus can do? Because this guy had never even thought about walking. His, his, the neurons in his brain had never fired, like, this is how you lift up your left foot, and this is how you put it down, and this is how you... Like, that has never occurred in this man, yet instantaneously he knows how to walk. Wow! Wow! It's kind of like Christians when you receive Jesus, and suddenly you know how to pray. Oh, wow, Dad, that was cool, thank you, right? And, and, and so it, it raises opportunity for Peter to preach again, because people are astounded. And his second sermon, 2,000 people get saved. That's pretty incredible. So the church has expanded from 120 to 5,120, pretty much within a week. All right? And with that, you can imagine comes some growth pains. <laughs> uh, this new thing that happens in them is pretty amazing. They have this new community, this new bond that's even, even thicker than blood. They, they, they begin to do things that don't make sense. People that are typically sinful and self-centered are, are, are selling their possessions. They're living in community. They're devoting themselves to the disciples' teaching. And, and they're selling stuff so that they can help one another. And in the midst of that, because they're, they're living in that kind of community, some people get missed. And, and so the church says, well, it's not good to miss people. Like, we can't just be this for some people. We've got to be this for all people. And, and so they, they raise up and they elect seven men full of the Holy Spirit. We call them deacons. By the way, some of those guys just served you the Lord's Supper. And these men that are full of the Spirit, uh, called deacons, uh, have a primary job, and that job is to be the problem solvers of the church. And so, yes, they're there to wait on tables, but that waiting on tables was because a problem arose. And so they're going to help deal with the problems, and they're going to serve people. They're not going to do it from a haughty position. They're going to do it from the lowest position at the table. One of those men is named Stephen, and he is not just full of the Spirit, but, man, he loves to proclaim the truth about Jesus Christ. And as he does, he really upsets the religious rulers, because it's one thing if the disciples are going to preach, but now somebody that's waiting on tables, now a servant is preaching to me? Uh Uh-uh. And so they bring Stephen forth, and Stephen preaches uh, the gospel. He eventually is stoned for it. And after Stephen dies, something sets a fire in these religious zealots. And they say, you know what, let's get them all. Persecution breaks out against Christians, against Christ followers, against this new thing, this new gathering. The, they, they would call it the way. It's also called the ecclesia or the gathering. And so persecution breaks up, and, 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 and the people flee only this time. They're not running for their lives. They're going and telling. 
And so what happens is just as Jesus said that the gospel would go forth, they would be witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria. As they leave Jerusalem, they witness along the way and churches are begun. There's a guy named Philip that starts basically a booming church in Samaria. Uh, Some people think it was actually bigger than the church in Jerusalem. He kind of becomes the first big Billy Graham uh, of all Billy Grahams. And, uh, and then God shows up and speaks to him and says, Hey man, Philip, I know you're doing great here, but I want you to go uh, in the middle of nowhere on a desert road to Gaza. Now Gaza, we believe at this point, had been destroyed long ago. So it's, he, God's calling him to the middle of nowhere to leave a really, really you know, lucrative ministry and go in the middle of nowhere. And it's there that he meets an Ethiopian eunuch and he runs alongside the chariot and he shares the good news with him and that guy gets saved. And we begin to ask ourselves, is there anyone... Too far gone for this gospel. Is there anyone that God won't accept? It's about that time that we meet this religious zealot who it kind of looks like might ruin this whole movement of God uh, because it says he's breathing out murderous threats. And this guy named Saul, man, he wants to gather up and, and, and basically watch Christians be put to death like Stephen was. He, he's got a passion for it. Um, yet God intervenes there too. And, and Saul, who's on, his, on the road to Damascus, and he's, he's there because he's hunting these people that have fled for their lives. But again, as they go, they're sharing the good news. It ticks him off. And so, man, he's following after them, he's going to arrest them, he's going to bring them back, and, and, and they'll probably do like a mass drowning where they tie them all up with rope and throw them off a bridge and watch them all die. Those things happen. That's real stuff. But on the road to Damascus, Jesus appears to him in a brilliant light. It says, uh, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuted? Who, who are you? He says, I'm Jesus. And he's, his life has changed, and, and, and God even uses this guy. This guy, this guy that, that, that is trying to murder and kill the church. Yeah, God says, yeah, I can use him too. I'm going to live in him too. And, and, and then Paul becomes this great preacher. It eventually ends in chapter 10 with Peter going to Cornelius. And Peter's going, wait, look, why am I going to this guy's house? This guy's a Gentile. And God is speaking this truth. No, this gospel will be for all people. For all people. No one is unclean. It's a big deal. It's a big new. Now, that's, that's the street-level view. Okay, that's what happened down here. Let's, let's see if we can elevate the view a little bit and talk about the big-picture things and what they mean because they're really important this week. This week of all weeks, if we were to miss the big picture of what God does, I, I would say to you that maybe we might even miss or have missed everything that we have learned to this point. Okay, It's that crucial that we get these things. So, so, so three things for you this morning. And uh, here is the first. Okay, Number one. Number one. Uh, what we have witnessed, these three big ideas, what we have witnessed is that the Holy Spirit has come and God is no longer just with us. God is no longer just with us. He is in us. Okay? Th- this is a seismic shift in the story, all right? From, from the book of Genesis, it has been a story of, of the God who created everything wanting to come down and be with his creation. So, so in, in, in the garden, um, God is walking with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. So it's God being with his people. When we get to the book of Exodus, uh, and God is on the mountain and he's meeting with Moses, he's saying, listen, I want to come down and I want to be with you, okay? You need to build me a place to dwell. I'm going to be separated from you, but I'm going to be with you. I'm going to camp out in the center of your lives, but you know, I need you to build me a house. We've got to have new rules to live by, and we're going to have to atone for your sins so that I can be with you. Jesus, Emmanuel, is coming down to be what? Emmanuel, God with us, to be with us. And here's the seismic shift. Now, from this point on, when Jesus ascends, God doesn't just want to be with us anymore. 
It's not just God with us. Now the story shifts, and it's going to be actually, get this, God in us. God in us. I I mean, it makes me think about, like, when Jesus says in John chapter 16, like, how could Jesus make the claims he makes? In John chapter 16, he, he says, but very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. For your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But, but if I go, I'm going to send him to you. And, and the question arises, like how could Jesus make the claim? Uh, in the CSB, it actually says it's for your benefit. In, in, the, in the CEB, he says, I assure you, it is better if I go. How can Jesus make such a claim? It's actually better for us if he's not here. How can that be? And the answer is because he knew. Because he knew where he was going and he knew who he was sending. Jesus says, it's better for you. What what could be better than God with me, walking with me through the difficulties of this life? I'll tell you what could be better than that. Ready? God in you as you walk through the difficulties of this life. What could be better than God just being with you is, is, is that power actually residing in you. Which is why we boast, greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. That's, that's what's better than God just being with you, is the power of God actually residing inside of your cavity. That's crazy. That's crazy. Friends, if you miss what transpires in Acts, if you miss this shift in the story, then, then, then you're not going to get what God wants to do in your life. God is no longer just content being with you. No, he actually wants to dwell in you. That's a hard one for us to think about. What's going to happen, what's going to transpire is this, when that curtain is torn in two. Listen, God now, when Christ dies on the cross, okay, listen. Through faith in that, through belief in that, when Jesus dies on the cross, when he conquers death, when we put our faith and our trust in that, when we believe in that, what God does in us is he brings us to spiritual life. We're, we're, we're born again, spiritually, right? This John chapter 3 is talking with Nicodemus. Like you're going to be born. So we, we actually come into a brand new life. We now have a direct relationship with God. So next to number one on your sermon notes, I want you to draw kind of a vertical line up and down. I like to put arrows on the top and the bottom. Okay? And, and, and this is the first seismic shift at this part of the story. It's God in you. It's about relationship. It's about relationship. I now have a personal relationship. I've become a child of God through faith in Christ and his finished work. Because what happened is when I believe on Jesus, when I believe that he has paid the penalty for my sins, the Bible says that at that moment, right, that I am saved, I'm born again. And what happens in that being saved is I am declared righteous by God. I am. So it's, this is where the Bible says now you're the temple of God. That we're the temple of the Holy Spirit. So, so in, remember in the Old Testament, even in, in the tabernacle, there was a place that only the high priest could go once a year. You guys remember the name of that place? Bible scholars? The Holy of Holies. Ready? It's crazy. Through faith in Christ, we become the Holy of Holies. His righteousness is attributed to us. And now God doesn't just have to dwell with us. Right inside of us. Right inside. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? Just, just that thought. I, I, want, I, want, I want you to let that marinate this morning. We now, after all this time, after all this time since the fall, we now can have an intimate, life-giving, direct relationship with God again. Where he dwells inside of us. That's the first big picture, okay? Second one. 
The second one, not only uh, do we have relationship, the second word I would talk about with you is community. Everyone who receives the Holy Spirit becomes part of a new community called the church. Okay? Everyone who receives the Holy Spirit becomes part of a new community called the church. So something amazing happens when we believe in Jesus, right? When we trust Him as Lord, not only does the Holy Spirit come into us um, now to to be our source of of direction, of power, that we might live and and exalt Christ in our lives, um, that absolutely happens. But in addition to that, we now have a family. That's crazy, okay? When when we are born again, uh, the, the, the Bible says, you know, spiritual birth, that John chapter 3 thing, what, what really happens, it's a little more like adoption. When, when we think of being born again, you may think you're the only child, and that's not how it works, okay? You're not the only child of, of God. So, so really the way that Paul describes it is probably better in Romans chapter 8. He, he says this, uh, the spirit that you receive doesn't make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit that you receive brought about your adoption into sonship. Okay, So we become children of God through adoption. So when we receive the Spirit of God through faith in Christ, God says, you are now my child. You're now my son. You're now my daughter. So we're adopted into the family of God. And by this Spirit, we cry, Abba, Father. And so what, what this means is, is, is pretty huge, that by faith in Christ, um, and, and that when, when the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in us, we become a child of God, we now belong to a family of people like us. All right, of people that by grace, not by works, but that by grace have received the finished work of Jesus and, and, and have been adopted by God as sons and daughters. And so all of us now adopted as sons and, go- uh, as sons and daughters belong to this, this family. And, and so a bond is created in Christ that actually is stronger than blood. We see all throughout the New Testament that, that families are actually broken apart. People say, well, you're following this Jesus, you're no longer mine. I disown you. And, and, and people can be okay with that. You can disown me because I have a family, right? Because, because I have a family that's unshakable, right? I have a family that can't be taken away. I have a family that death cannot conquer. These people that are my sisters and brothers will be my, my sisters and brothers for eternity now. And so this new thing happens, and it almost seems like a side effect to us. I think sometimes we read it almost as a side effect, but, but it's not. It's every bit as vital as the direct relationship is the horizontal relationship that now we belong to a community. And this new community of believers that, that, that have the Holy Spirit living in them are so radically different. They're so, I, I just want to read to you how, how, how different um, they are because this is really a model of what's supposed to happen to us. I'm, I'm on page 392 of the story. If you're in your Bibles, uh, it's Acts chapter 2. Verse 42. So if you've got your Bibles, it's Acts chapter 2, verse 42. I'm at the bottom of page 392 in the story uh, as, as we read this. It says this about these people. It says, they devoted themselves, these, these people with the Holy Spirit living inside of them that have been born again, these new creations. Uh, it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Devoted. That's a big word, Right? Devoted. That, that kind of sounds like a word that a husband should, should have with his wife. Devoted. I mean, I mean, this is given. This is like, this is what I'm about now. This is now who I am. This is my, my new identity. So they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe at, at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and they had everything in common. Everything. 
Not just one thing. Oh, well, yeah, I happen to go to church there. Yeah, 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 that's good. Not just, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I've kind of got that similar background. We got a couple things. Oh, you like peanut butter and jelly too. Yeah, 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 we got that in common. They didn't just have a few things. They said they had everything in common. They sold their property, their possessions to give to one another who had a need. Do you see how unnatural this is? This is so, right? I mean, just be honest. Can we be honest as American Christians? Like when, is, like, when is the last time you had the thought, dang, that person in my church is in need. Maybe I should sell a few acres. Have you ever had the thought? I mean, I mean you, you're following me, right? I mean, just see how supernatural this community is. And so they sold their property and their possessions to give to anyone that had need every day. Some of you complain about being here once a week. I love you, right? I mean, we, we can't even make it, I say once, we can't even make it twice a week. Wednesday night around here is disturbing how few of you show up for church. I love you. I'm just saying, like, it's disturbing. Every day they met together. I'm just, I'm just, this is the text, right? So we're just letting it speak for itself. Everything they had, they sold the property and didn't give to anyone. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. It's the last time you had a brother or sister over for dinner. It's awfully quiet in here. They broke bread together in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord, get this, added to their number daily. Those of you that have ever been part of a church that is not growing, may I recommend Acts chapter 2 starting in verse 42. Maybe the answer is not the pastor or the programs. Maybe it lies with the people. Follow me. And this thing, this new organism that God creates, we find out later in the book of Acts, is called the church. And we, we find that out because Paul, it says in Acts 8.3, uh, Saul at the time, Saul began to destroy the church. And this word pops up and we say, what is that? That's what you should ask, right? I mean, if you're reading the story, this, this, this word hasn't been here before. This is a new word in the story. Where did this word come from? In the Greek, the word is ekklesia. It's not building, it's not temple. They had different words for that. Ekklesia in the Greek is this gathering of people. These people that gathered in their home. These people that met every day to pray. These people, the gathering, the collection of these people that had accepted Christ and been filled with the Holy Spirit, Saul began to just try to destroy them. Going from house to house, he dragging off uh, men and women and children and putting them in prison and eventually be putting to death. This thing's called the church. And it's really, really important, guys, that we understand um, this concept. And so the, 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 if you wanted kind of a banner statement for the whole morning, I might say the Holy Spirit changes everything. So now we have a, a vertical relationship. We drew that by number one. The second one, I want you to draw that horizontal line. Because it doesn't just change, not, not, not us, in our, it's not just our relationship with God that changes, absolutely. It also changes our relationship with one another. It creates a bond that should be unbreakable, right? And so I want you to draw this horizontal line, and you put arrows on both sides of that. Uh, and, and so it creates a new community called the church. That brings me to our last point. Uh, and it's this now, through faith in Jesus, and by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, God works through us. 
Now, through faith in Jesus and by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, God works through us. So this is big picture stuff. Uh, So this is our, in the book of Acts, it's the fourth story within a story. Remember the first story is the story of the garden, its creation and fall and flood. Right, And then the second story is, is the story of the nation of Israel. And, and this, through this new nation, God is going to work to reveal his presence, power, and plan to get us back. And then the third story is the story of Jesus, the one who has come to bring us back to God. And this is, he steps out of the upper story into the lower story. He, he becomes sin for us. He dies in our place so that we can have a way back to God. So he, he makes the way. And, and so this, third, or this fourth story goes like this. It's the story of the church. Everyone who comes into a relationship with God through faith in Christ belongs to the community that God is building, the church. The church is commissioned to be the presence of Christ in the lower story, telling his story by the way that we live and by the words that we speak. Okay? The church points people to the second coming of Christ when he will return and restore God's original vision. The church, this is now the presence of Christ. So so what we track, right, okay? So God was working through the nation of Israel, and then he worked through Jesus to provide a way for us to come back to God, and now through faith in Jesus and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, God has chosen to work through us. That we are now God's vehicle for change in the world. Hello? That's crazy! Right? Is, am I the only one? This is, just, this is nuts! This is not God! Like, this is where our story... You say, well, where do I fit into this story? I've been studying it now for 28 weeks. Where do I fit? Here's where you fit in. This is where we live. We now live in this age, in this church age, where God, in His infinite wisdom, right? And we shouldn't question God. But God, you, your methodology is me? Right? That's, the story has been leading up to this? Right? I mean, I mean, Jesus is the pinnacle. He, he makes the way. And after that, what's your follow-up, God? You speak a word and everybody that disagrees with you is smoted or smited or whatever, fired or turned to salt. Like, surely that's better. Sure, surely you've got something. Some rocks will cry out. And God's like, no, I've got, I've got, I've got something that will be more astounding than the rocks crying out. Think about that. I mean, it'll, it'll actually bring more glory to me than if the stones cry out and, and, and that something is you. Because if your life is changed and you turn from that inward, sinful, self-centered individual that you were and, and the Holy Spirit comes into you and now you who used to live in fear is overwhelmed and overcome by fullness and power and you speak boldly of me and your marriage is changed and the way you speak to people is changed and the way you treat your kids is changed and your whole backstory looks different than your front story now, then I will get more glory than you could ever imagine. And God says, that's how the story works. And so friends, I'm just going to say to you, that is now where we are. So don't forget, don't get so comfortable in this world we're living in that you forget the mission that God has called us to. So, so far, we've got this vertical line and we've got this horizontal line. I want you to draw those two intersecting and then I want you to put some diagonals through there. It's going to look a little bit like an asterisk or, or something. And then you put, you put an arrow on every single point of, of those lines. And, and that's, so the first one's about relationship. The second one's about community. This third point is about mission. So how do I fit into God's story? Listen, I, I don't know what you do for a living. 
but I do know who you should be living for. See, it doesn't matter if you're a doctor or you're a dentist or a lawyer. The, the, the question is, how do I do those things and make them about the mission of Christ? How do I be a physician that points to the great physician? How, how do I be an attorney that, that argues in legalese and proves to my fellow attorneys that Jesus Christ really did live, walk, and breathe on this earth? Because we've got to get to that point. And when we do, oh man, watch out. Watch out. I gotta, I gotta give you some, you gotta go. Uh, I'm gonna skip the last slide, Matthew 28, 18 through uh, 20. We talked about it in Kingdom Kids. Our, our youth talked about it. Joshua Orr actually preached on it. Jesus saying, all authority in heaven and earth have been given unto me. But uh, just, just know that's the mission. That's what we're about. So here, what, what do you do? Because of this, number one, I think the first challenge is just to receive the Holy Spirit, right? Through faith in Christ. You don't have to wait anymore. Jesus was still there. And so there's, a, there's this little waiting period. That waiting period's gone. If you believe in Jesus and you ask him to to come take control of your life. That's what happens. God saves you by putting His Spirit in you. Putting His Spirit in you. You receive the Holy Spirit. But, but you do have to do that. You do have to receive Him. Okay? It's not just enough to believe. You know that the devil believes in Jesus. He does. The devil believes that He's the Son of God. The devil believes that He conquered death. The devil believes all those things. But the devil doesn't receive those things. He doesn't receive Jesus. He doesn't say, yes, please come reign over me. Yes, come have control over me. By your spirit, God, direct me, take, take over. You've got to get to that point. You have to receive, like, like listen, God, I, I, want, I want that salvation. I need you to come and take over. And that's what it means to receive the Holy Spirit. It means we ask God to come and take over our lives, to make us new, to transform us from the inside out. So I, that, that's the first, is that. The second, I would say, uh, join the church. Listen, when we accept Christ, we become a part of the universal church. Absolutely, it happens right away. So in one sense, you're already part of the church. And you say, I, this doesn't make sense to me. This, this universal church and this local church, well, it's kind of like the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is already here, but it's not yet, right? I mean, Jesus talked about those things. <laughs> He's like, the kingdom of God has come, but it's also coming, in a sense, okay? And so we've got the universal church I belong to as a believer in Jesus. We're all part of that, Okay. But we also need a local body that, that loves us, that takes care of us, that, 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 that looks after our needs. And that's one of the things we saw very early on is, is, is the church was this local body of people that lived together in community, that knew when one another was hurting, that, that, that cared about. And some of you are here, and, and, and I love you, and, and we're so grateful for how many times you visited with us. I, I've got some families in my second service that have been visiting for three years. God bless them. It's great. I've got some, Mark's laughing because he visited for three years before he joined. Uh, right, two, two, okay, he said two. It, it seemed like three years, all right? Uh, Mark and Denise are awesome. This is part of the deal. We receive the Holy Spirit. We're meant to live in community, okay? So, so get in community. So join the church. Last one, um, uh, maybe you think this is funny, but it's not. It's what it's about. Change the world. They did. 120 men and women waited on the Holy Spirit. 120. Do you know what the estimate right now of how many Christians are in the world? It's a third of the world's population. I looked it up. 2.5 billion today. Praise God. Pretty impressive, right? I wonder if those 2.5 billion took it as seriously as the 120, what the world would look like. Amen? Join me in a word of prayer. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for this day. Lord, put on our hearts how we need to act and respond to you. Maybe there's somebody here that needs to receive you, and that's great. Um, 
walk them through that process, Lord, that they can just cry out to you and say, Lord, I need you in my life. Come and take control. You'll honor that prayer. Maybe there's somebody that needs to join the church, and that's fine. They can do that at the end of the service. After we take up the offering, they can just come on up and, and, uh, and talk to us about membership. We'll give them a little card, talk to them about what it looks like to be a member here. We're happy to do that. Uh, Father, maybe there's just somebody that needs to get back on mission. <laughs> they forgot that your call was to empower them as part of the church to change the world. And you just need to call them back on board. Would you do that in our spirits this morning? Would you do that, please, in Jesus' name? Amen. Amen.